What we're going through, church, is a big deal in the book of Exodus. It's not just looking back at this crazy story of these crazy people. It's how to become back in a relationship with this teacher that's gone distant. So, glorification, big theological word for restoration back to the perfect state. The classroom back in order. Justification, how we get there. How that works. What makes us back in that right... How we're re-accepted with our teacher that we were meant to be with. Sanctification, the process of how that unfolds day by day. What does that mean today? Like today, Sunday, today, October. It is October, right? October 2022, Northport. All that's got to occur. All that is non-negotiable. And all of it's totally impossible on our own. All of it. I hope you're getting that as we're studying through Exodus. And today is going to be the necessity of a substitute. The necessity of a substitute teacher is going to show up all the way back in the book of Exodus. We're going to see that today. It's very cool. So again, the point of all of the law... Is not that you can fulfill the law. The whole point of all of the law is you need an alien righteousness that will pull it off for you. So Exodus, once again, as a church, we're going to study. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be gracious to us. Lord Jesus, would you be gracious to us once again? God, I know it's been a long year as we've studied all the way through, line by line, verse by verse through Genesis, and now line by line, verse by verse through Exodus. God, I I pray that we don't get caught in the mundane and have this weird, twisted notion of, oh, well, next year will be great as we jump back into the New Testament. That we will see that all of your law is as honey to our lips. That every word of Scripture points us to the beauty of Jesus. So Lord, if you will be gracious once again, show us that your plan for glorification, justification, and sanctification was always on our substitute, even back in the book of Exodus. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for our gathering. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's go, church. You're going to see substitution at least in four ways as we continue in our journey together. And there's no better way than just to dive straight onto the text. So let's look at it together. The God has just given us as a recap, if you haven't been with us, uh, if you haven't been with us or if you're a guest, number one, my name is Troy Nicholson. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at Safe Haven. I'm glad you're here. Um, We study verse by verse, line by line. Straight through books of the Bible. It's just what we do as a church. Um, and, and we pray that today you'll join us in the journey. So, so what's been going on is God's been rescuing a people, uh, not just the people of Israel, but He's making a people, a specific people, a nation to call His own, a family, if you will. He's, he's rewriting the brokenness. It's, it's the whole point of the book of Exodus. So um, it's, it's from slavery to redemption. That's the beauty of this text. And so He's just given us all the laws. We've gone through all the laws as a church. 
And I, I beg you, not because I'm a part of the teaching at Safe Haven, but I beg you to go to our website and listen to where we've been in the law. It is phenomenal the way that Jesus shows up in the law over and over and over, where a lot of times we just think of the Ten Commandments as something that a governor wants to slap on a, on a monument, or you went into a church and you saw the two scrolls or whatever, and it's, we've got this weird notion of the Ten Commandments that's, that's these, just these laws. And, and so we've been unpacking all the law and to see how all of that points us to Christ. And so um, today... Uh, we, we've just come off of God giving the law to the nation of Israel, and the first thing He does is starts talking about substitutes. It's fascinating. So let's look at that together. So He's going to say first, here's all the law, but you need a substitute angel. The first thing He says is this substitute angel. Chapter 23, verse 20. Behold, remember, He's just given the law. We ended with verse 19 last week. Verse 20. Don't boil a uh, baby goat in its mother's milk. Boom. Next words, behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. I'm going to keep reading, but that right there makes me want to go into happy preacher mode. But hold on. Verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I'll be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, I'll blot them all out. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars into pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your, uh, your bread and your water. And I will take a sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. But little by little, little by little, process, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Let's pause right there. If we're not careful in our studying of God's Word, especially in this text, if we're not careful, we'll focus on the contextual blessing that's spoken of in this text. If we're not careful, we'll go straight to all the the bizarre things, like how many people, by show of hands, it caught your eye that it said, if you do this, you will not miscarry. If that caught your eye, raise your hand. You can raise it high. If we're not careful, that's the first thing we'll do, is we'll jump to this contextual, and we'll forget everything else that's been said. We'll go, okay, whoa, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the miraculous things. Let's, let's kind of focus on that. The no miscarries, the, the conquering of the borders, all this kind of stuff. And God's voice, if we're not careful, will begin to sound strangely like a TV preacher. We'll read into it something like that. 
If you do this, if you sow a seed, if you, then you'll get everything that you've always hoped and dreamed. You'll get health, you'll get wealth, you'll get prosperity. Now, we've got to remember that in this text, contextually, God is bringing a very specific blessing to a very specific people for a very specific purpose at a very specific time in history. It's very specific. Got to be very careful about this. What he's doing is he's ensuring through all of those miraculous things like no miscarriages and conquering the land and all that kind of stuff, it's not a transfer to 2022 that you can lay claim to this. It is a very specific promise that, listen, I will bring my Messiah through this people group. So in order to do that, I'm going to do some very miraculous things at this time, at this place for these people. Does that make sense? you got to study the Bible contextually or you will get warped as all get out. All right, so, so this is what's going on. So don't buy into works-based prosperity gospel, please, church. If you get nothing else from today, don't buy into all of that. So it sounds a lot like this. Well, here's what the Word of God says. You won't miscarriage. So if you sow a seed monetarily and religiously, then God's going to do nothing but give you rainbows and pots of gold. Well... How's that working out for you? Side note, that didn't work for Jesus. If anybody was going to get pots of gold and rainbows, it should be him, didn't work out for the Apostle Paul, didn't work out for any of the apostles, and didn't work out for all the martyrs who died giving their life away to please the Lord. That does not transfer. Let's be real careful about that. Our God is not a God who's a genie in a bottle, and his only goal in life is for you to pet him the right way so that he can grant you all of your magical wishes. That's not what this passage is getting at. Our God is a gracious, yet sovereign Lord, whose primary agenda is to bring back into familial relationship a people who have gone desperately far away from Him, to bring about a Messiah, to bring about a substitute who will rewrite our greatest need, and that's for our souls to be redeemed, not for our pockets to be full. That's His chief goal. That's the chief goal of our Lord. And so let's be real careful about this. And this popped up in a sermon recently right around here. I'm in town. I, I was made aware of this just a couple of days ago um, with a friend. and, and uh, the, the, the pastor was preaching. He was pre- preaching a passage um, of the narrow gate. You've, you've all heard of the narrow gate where Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. And, and, uh, few are the, the ones that will find it and, and broad is the road to lead to destruction. And many find it there and all that kind of stuff. And, and so the preacher goes on to talk about the message. And he says, Listen, here's the thing. There is a narrow gate, and there are going to be a lot of people who who do find their way into salvation through the narrow gate. And so find your way and and get narrow and and obey the laws and, and, and come through the narrow gate. There's going to be a lot of people who do that. And then the pastor goes on to say this, but I also want you to know that there is an even narrower gate. Now... You don't want to just slide into heaven through the narrow gate. 
You want to be in the even narrower gate, and the narrower gate are the ones who truly are fighting for the Lord, who are truly reading their Bible, who are truly praying, who are truly studying, who are truly getting in it. Now those people will walk in, and that's how you get to the Father to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. To the rousing applause of the congregation, yes, this is right, this is right. No! (laughs) No, that's not right. Christ is the only gate. And He's the only way that you make it in. He is the narrow gate. It's not that there's going to be some people who walk in and the Lord's like, (laughs) you go into that side, but glad you're here. And then the other people that come in and He goes, oh, now you really did it right. No! All of us, our only hope is that we walk in and go, I don't deserve to be here. I'm just clinging to the righteousness of that guy. And then the father goes, well done. Well done. Welcome home through the blood of my son. Now here's the deal. That type garbage slips into churches left and right. It's works-based. It sounds good. You walk out of here going, yeah, I can really do it. I don't want to be one of those Christians who just make it in the narrow gate. I want to be one of those who make it in the even narrower gate. I can do this. And those type people, I'm pleading with you. What you'll hear if that's what you've bought into is the Father saying, I never knew you. You thought you could pull it off on your own and you denied the work that's sufficient of my substitute son. Praise the Lord for the son. And so that was a long introduction to say, let's be careful when reading texts like this to not jump into the mumbo-jumbo that is very real, but was very specific for a specific people. And let's focus on this wild, angelic being. Now that's where the meat of this text is going to be for us in our cultural context. I'm going to ask three questions about this wild angel. Number one, all the way back in Exodus, what type of angel does God give this level of obedience to? What type of angel? Ever in Scripture... Does the Father say, you you better listen to every one of His words and you better obey everything He says. You're not going to find another one. For all of those who are in the systematic theology and we're studying angels and demons on Wednesday nights, you, you already know the answer to this question, right? But He says this of this angel, look to no one else and obey His voice. The implication is, when this substitute angel speaks, somehow... This substitute angel has the same exact essence and authority as my own voice. And you're going to need this. Question number two. What type of angel can forgive sin? Did you catch that in the verse? In the passage it says this. Don't you dare rebel against him. Because if you rebel against him, he will not pardon your sin. In other words... For me, I knew there was certain family members in my life, um, maybe some grandparents that I could go to, and I could disobey. And there was some type of grandparents that always, she always seemed to have a switch. It didn't matter where we were at, 
like it was a magic switch. We're out in the apple picking apples, and there's, I disobey, and there's a switch. Um, we're in church, disobey, and there's a switch. I'm like, how do you have an endless supply of switches, right? But then there was another set of grandparents that I knew I could do anything, and they'd be like, oh, it's okay. It's all right. Here's the deal. What God's saying is this. There's one, and there's this angel here. The implication means he has the authority to punish you when you sin, and he will not overlook your sin because he has that authority. He won't pardon it. So pay careful attention to him. What type angel has that type of authority? Question number three. What type angel has God's name in him? Literally, of the same being, of the same essence. The implication, church, is this substitute is the one who's the chosen one that bears my very being, my essence. Listen to him. Are you tying the pieces together? Right after the law. (laughs) Do this, do this, do this, do this. But more important than all that, I'm going to send this substitute one who's going to make any of this possible. Listen to him. He's the substitute. So with this said... Let me show you angels' typical answers to this type of allegiance. Revelation chapter 22, 8 and 9. I think I, I didn't put it on the screen, Brian. I'm sorry. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. John has just received the book of Revelation. He's just seen the heavenly vision, and here's what he says. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. The last book in your Bible. I saw all these things. I heard them. And when I heard them, I saw... And I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me all these things. But this angel said to me, Do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. I'm of the brothers of the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. You worship God only. So right off the bat, we see this angel's just different. He's not going, don't pay attention to me. Don't bow to me. He's standing there going, yes, let me be your Substitute church, what you're seeing in the book of Exodus is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ himself. All the way back in Exodus. The family code's a lot to pull off, the Lord says. I've just given you a lot of commandments. It's hard to pull off. And it absolutely matters. My standard matters to satisfy my holiness and to achieve my blessing. But from the get-go, here is a very special substitute angel who will lead you and guide you all the way. Church, it's Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And it will always be about Jesus. This is why we gather. So a substitute angel right off the bat... And then not only that, there's this substitute intercessors. Chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Moses, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the seventy of the elders of Israel, and you worship from afar. And Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the law. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. It was just an absolute bloody mess. Let me be clear about what I'm about to say. Moses is going to die. Nadab and Abihu and Aaron are going to die. Hang on to Nadab and Abihu. If you don't know who they are, they're going to buy in a very twisted way um, here very shortly. Hopefully it lands on Tyler Sunday to preach. It's bizarre, okay? Hang on, they're going to die. The 70 elders, they're going to die. All these men are exactly the same. They are earthly and all this kind of stuff. And yes, the people indeed are to digest, devour, consume, teach, love the law in and of themselves. They're to to hoard the law of God, to to study it on their own, to, to get the instructions. But God has always and will always call chosen ministers of the Word to step in and assist the people towards studying and preparing and, 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 and listening to and loving the words of the Lord our God. So not only does he say, listen, here's the law, and I'm going to give you this substitute Savior, you cling to Him, but I will also give you on earth substitutionary intercessors. And I may, maybe I should have used a different word, so let's just go ahead and say that so that that's on film. Um, but substitute helpers, I guess we could say. Now I know. I feel some very odd eyes staring at me. Because if you're not careful and you're going through a text like this, you're like, oh, here we go. The preacher's going to talk about himself. Well, if you know me, and most of you guys do, you know that this is not a call that Troy Nicholson would have ever chosen. I was perfectly content slinging boxes in my brown uniform at UPS. (laughs) Perfectly content. Um, but God does call certain people to step in and go, Hey, let's, let's do this. Let's love the Lord. Let's, let's serve the Lord together. Um, Moses was perfectly content, not slinging boxes at UPS. But what was he doing? Herding what? Herding sheep. He was perfectly content doing that. Because says, listen, I'm not going to leave this on your own. I'm going to provide some ways in which there's going to be some helps to go along with this, some substitute helps. And church life, I would argue, is indeed the primary means that God has given us to help one another keep our eyes on the prize as we press on through the sanctification journey. What I'm saying is, look to your right and look to your left. Look at the people to your right and your left. I know it's awkward. I don't want to do that. These people are a blessing to you on your journey towards the Lord. The church is a gracious gift. May we never take it for granted. And so he says, listen, I'm going to do this because in the gathering, we refocus our worship. All week long, idols pull at our heart, don't they? But strangely, on Sundays, we're able to let those idols go, if but just for a second together. In the gathering, we refocus our communication. (laughs) All week long, other voices pull at our ears over and over and over. But if just for 30 minutes-ish, 
at Safe Haven. Maybe an hour and a half sometimes. We're able to reorient our ears to the songs of the Lord. In the gathering, we refocus our intentionality. All week long, other vices pull at our hands and our feet. Do this, go here, don't do this. But just for a minute, we get to sit together. In the gathering, those who are truly called cannot help but shout out, Hey, let's turn our eyes on Jesus together. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim. Let's do it. So he says, listen, nothing else matters. The Lord is our joy, the Lord is our strength, and the Lord is our focus. So here's the laws, and to help you chase after the law, I'm going to give you this substitute, who's ultimately going to lead you on the way. I almost said something else, but we'll save that for a second. I'm going to leave you substitute intercessors. There's Moses, there's Aaron, these 70 elders, and they're just going to literally give their life away to keep saying, let's keep looking up the mountain. <laughs> it's like if you want to know what a minister's call is, like that's it. It is to just keep saying, hey, let's look up the mountain. Let's keep looking up the mountain. And then number three, he's going to say, but I'm also going to give you these substitute words along your journey. Chapter 24, verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord spoke and we will do. And we'll be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. Did you catch that? He threw it on the people. Aren't you glad we don't live in the old covenant? Like right now, Tyler could be throwing blood on you. Because you know who would not do it? This guy. Wouldn't do it. All right? But he's throwing blood on the people. Boom. He says, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as, if, um, as it were, of pavement, sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone, with the law and the command, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. Now there's a note we need to kind of highlight. If you highlight your Bible... That's, that's a big one right there. Joshua shows up here. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. And whoever has a dispute, let him go to him. All the words, the whole counsel of Scripture will be your guiding light. It's the substitute. It's what you need. It's the substitute words that you need to combat all the words that you constantly hear all week long. You need these words. Christians can indeed get applause by embracing sin in the name of tolerance and love. I can't tell you how many times I know the Bible says, but it's an old book and I want to love you well, so we're going to bypass all that so that I can love you well. I'm just going to avoid all the words of the law to give you love. I would argue that's not love. That is not love. When we disobey or throw away God's commandments to be able to hug someone. That's not love at all. It's delusion. It's intoxication. And it's giving them the drunkenness that you have to justify your sin. And you're letting them justify their sin. We, we can never do that. Christians get applause for that though. 
Christians also can get appalled by addressing sins that no one, quite literally no one, is actually dealing with. I shouldn't say no one, but very few are dealing with. I can't tell you how many times, and maybe you've heard this in Hellfire Brimstone. Yeah, nobody should kill. Everybody's like, yeah. Nobody should murder. Yeah. Nobody should bomb this. Yeah, right. And then we go to the buffet line in the fellowship hall and pile our plates full of gluttonous foods. Boy, that was boy, the preacher really got after all those sins, didn't he? Fried chicken. Roast. Oh my gosh, I'm so full. If I wasn't in church, I'd unbutton my pants so I could stretch out. Vomit. The churches do it all the time. All the time. We'll talk about the biggies, but what about pride? What about jealousy? What about anger? What about discontentment? What about the use of our financial resources? Oh, Troy, don't go there. Oh, no, no, no. Right? We want to talk about all those other things. He says, all of the law is your guiding light and will lead you. And Christians rarely get applause by standing firm for all the words of Scripture. But nonetheless, the Lord says, this is your guiding light. It's your substitute. Right? The words of the world are bright. They're flashing. They're, they're, they're like a rave party. You can't help but look at it, golly. Uh, we were on a mission trip to Las Vegas. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. It sounds like a justification to go to Las Vegas. Okay, I get it. I, I hear what your thoughts are saying. I understand. We're helping a church there. And uh, the pastor was like, hey, I'm going to drive you down the strip um, at night. You know, to which I'm like, you know, like in, my, <laughs> like in that moment, there's like the battle of my flesh and my spirit, okay? I, I acknowledge the battle of the flesh and my spirit. Okay, if you're a guest, okay, I'm just telling you who I am. Like in my spirit, I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea, but in my flesh, I'm like, let's go. I want to see this. Right. So he drives me down the strip, and I'm telling you, if you've ever been there at night, the lights are so bright that you don't know whether it's day or night. I mean, it is that intoxicating. It is that, it's that, boo, it's that big, right? And the world's lights are like that. They get us. They dupe us. They, they suck us in. And again, y'all know me. I'm not saying don't go to Las Vegas. That's not, that's not the point, okay? Um, that's where Carrot Top still performs. Now we're definitely chasing rabbits. <laughs> but what he's saying is, my light may not seem as bright, but my light is focused and will lead you down the path to acceptance back into my family. It's like last night, me and Cole were putting the doors back on the Jeep, and the lights had gone down. And, and so I got my phone out and put the light on. Boom. And, and he's over there banging the, you know, he, if you have a Jeep, and he's still like banging the doors. And I'm like, if you don't stop, I'm going to have to murder you, and then I'll have to confess one of them big sins that I'm about to say we don't do to deal with, you know. And, and so we put the light on it, and we we're able to slide the door back in. It's just that simple. And the Lord goes, my light may not seem as glamorous, but it is your substitute light that will lead you where you're trying to get to. Trust it. We all have family mottos. i got to hurry up. 
We all have family mottos. It may not like be on a family crest that hangs on your door, but this is what it sounds like. We are a sports family. We are an academic family. We are a hunting family. All y'all hunters, it's hunting season, right? Um, we are a hospitable family. We are a hermit family. Nobody comes in our home. Uh, we are a Democrat family. We are a Republican family. We are a quiet family. We are a loud family. And what he's saying is, I want you to abandon all of those mottos, all of those words, and let none of them be what people know you by. You want people to say they're a Godward family. That's the light. And that substitution will lead you there. These people ask, what does God want next? What's the next step? What's the next step for our family? What's our next move? What's our next job? What's our next... They're always chasing after what the Lord wants. Number four. He says there's going to be this substitute angel to help you with the law. This substitute intercessor is going to help you with the law. This substitute words are going to help you with the law. And then this substitute glory covering. And then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. Neil, I might have a heart attack in a second, so brother. You better be ready to catch me, okay? And then the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and for 40 nights. Here's the deal. You need a substitute to find justification. That's what this text is teaching us. And you'll only be made right because of the mediator that I'm sending you. You need a substitute to find sanctification, the the growing daily. Like, you cannot do that on your own. And the only way you'll get that is through growing daily through all of God's substitute words. And you need a substitute to find glorification because you can't do that on your own. Like the first two, we may be duped into believing we can pull off, right? I can pull off my own justification. I can even pull off my own sanctification. I would argue that 90%, well, I may, I shouldn't percent, I shouldn't put percentages on it. But largely in the cultural south and in southern churchianity, I would say most people lean on Jesus for justification and lean on themselves for sanctification. Thank you, Jesus, for getting me there. And now I'll, I'll take it from here. I'll work it out. You can no more pull off your sanctification than you can pull off your justification. Anything you do is because God did it through you that's good for His glory. Because right? I'll go to study the Scripture with a completely sinful heart. I'll go to pray with a completely sinful heart. I will stand right here in this pulpit with a sinful heart. I'll proclaim the gospel with a sinful heart. The only thing that makes it to the Father that's acceptable is if Jesus does it for us. But all this to say, one of my favorite cheers at at the high school sporting events is the one that that goes... um, (laughs) You can't do that. 
you can't do that. Like, that's my favorite one. It's so simple, but it comes out a lot. Like, y'all thought I was about to do a herky or something, didn't you? Um, and some of you are proud that I knew the word herky. Right? Um, but I love it. At basketball games, when they do something wrong, and then they're, and then the whole cheer, you can't do that. You can't. Or they throw the flag, boom, you can't do that. I love it. I love it. It gets, like there's a fight about to happen, then I get all excited because, again, I live in the flesh. Majority of the time, I'm like, fight, I'm in, you know, whatever. So you can't do that, and and that's what the Lord's saying here. He's going, here's the law, and you can't do that. You can't do that. Will you listen? So even back in Exodus, I'm going to send you an angel. (laughs) He's an odd angel. I hope you figure him out. (laughs) I'm going to send you these intercessors. They're going to help you. I'm going to send you these words. They're going to help you. And then there's this glory cloud. And nobody goes, well, I can do that. And he nails it, the nail in the coffin going, you can't pull that off, church. You can't pull off the glory cloud. My presence. And so, Mount Sinai is an awesome scene. Look at it. Sin has separated us. We're kicked out of God's glorious presence. We can't go up the mountain to Him, so God does what? Comes down to us. And a mediator steps into God's presence for divine instruction. Mount Sinai is pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, it next is fun. It's a fun book, church. Can I tell you a better mountain? Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, is strangely similar. Matthew chapter 17. And after how many days? After six days... Jesus took with him Peter, James, John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And there, behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah back at Mount Sinai. Now, now we got Moses showing up, and we got Elijah who was caught up. Right, so we got this whole thing talking with him. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, whoa, it is good that we're here. If you wish, we're going to make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. It's this woo-hoo moment. Catch this mountain moment. Yes, it's Elijah, guys. We're looking at Elijah. And then another one goes, no, look at Moses. Moses is here. And then another one goes, no, no, this is God. Look at God. God's glory has come in this moment. They're going. We've heard about Mount Sinai all our life. We're having a Mount Sinai moment. Do you feel this? They're going, oh my goodness, this has happened. They're going, it's about to go down. The last time the Lord showed up was on this mountain, and now He's here again. It's about to be pulled off. Let's build some tents. Let's build a tent for God. Let's build a tent for Moses. Let's build a tent for Elijah. And this sounds noble and this sounds right and this sounds good. But it enrages the Father. It infuriates Him. And in this moment, He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. 
And the voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. Why are you talking about Moses? Why are you talking about Elijah? Why are you talking about anything? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Silence. Stop talking. All of this moment is about my son. Listen to him. It's always been about the son. Even back in Exodus, it was about the son. Y'all botched it up then. Catch it now. This is about Jesus in whom I am well pleased. He's the substitute one. He is the glory cloud. And when the disciples heard this, they got it. They fell on their faces and were terrified. In other words, they go, oh no, we missed it. We missed the history lesson. We didn't understand what our teacher was talking about when when she was talking about Mount Sinai. We missed it. We missed the whole point of Exodus. We're doomed. We're doomed. But Jesus, but Jesus came and he touched them. It didn't say he came and he spanked them. It doesn't say he came and he rebuked them. He came with a tender hand and touched them and said, rise, have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And at that point, they got it. And if you're in this room trying to understand Exodus, that's where you get it when you see Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Hey, tell no one this vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. I'm your substitute. You finally got it. You finally figured out I'm what this whole angel thing was all about. I'm the point of the words of the law. I'm the point of the intercession. I'm the glory cloud that covers you. That makes you so that you can do that through me. Since the dawn of the commandments in Exodus, there are two types of people. Person number one who reads Exodus and goes, I'll get it right. I'll make God proud. I'll achieve justification, sanctification, and glorification. And then there's people number two, which I am pleading with you to be. I am begging you to be people number two. Who goes, I'll try my best. But not because I can pull it off. But because Christ has pulled it off. And He's given me His righteousness. And therefore... Because he has given me his substitute, the necessity of substitution. He has given me his righteousness. I will worship him in whatever he tells me to do. Perhaps Paul says it best in Romans 8, 3. It'll be on the screen. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. If you are in this room and you are going, but I've got to pull off the law, you do not believe the New Testament. The law could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What a text. Parting shots. Number one, church, trust in the righteous substitution found in the holy angel. It's Jesus. Trust in the substitutionary righteousness taught by the church. We are the bearers of this good news. Trust in the righteous substitution repeated over and over and over in his substitutionary words. And trust in the substitute glory confirmed where the glory cloud last rested on his son. The words of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, number one, we do want to thank you for your text. May Safe Haven always be known as a church who really loves that book. May it never be said that we just kind of use it as a springboard to start talking about topics. But Lord, that every word will feed our soul. Thank you for your words. God, I pray in the same way that we chew through it on Sunday, that our church is filling it in their homes, filling in their lives, flooding these substitutionary words over our journey, over our sanctification journey. So thank you for your text. Lord, thank you for the people of God. Thank you that we get to gather together and we get to sing of you. We get to worship you. We get to pray to you. We get to have our kids learning the same things. All of it a great grace that in just a minute that we're going to get to take communion. And oh, that Romans 8 and substitution would flood us at the table. That the table would be the pinnacle moment of our gathering today. Make it monumental in our hearts as Tyler leads us through the gospel. So Lord, we thank you for your words. We thank you for the gathering. But we thank you for you. For coming and living the life we could not and would not live. For fulfilling all of the law perfectly for taking the life that you earned and substituting it for a death that we deserved. For becoming sin, for being placed in a grave, but for fulfilling what you told the disciples after the Mount of Transfiguration, then on the third day you would pop right out of the ground proving that the Father had accepted the substitution and then giving that to us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. That the scandal of the gospel would be that all those who call upon Jesus will find life, hope, and salvation. Lord, that you would grant us grace where we deserve wrath. May we be astounded by that through the book of Exodus. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Holy Spirit that you sent to indwell us and then has bounced around this room all day long 
and taken our minds and our hearts to different areas where we can worship you more greatly. Move us to worship Holy Spirit.